and hello, everybody. Welcome to Tuesday Night's Narrative Live. It's good to be with you tonight. Yes, Eric Garland with us tonight. How are you, Eric? My oh, hey. It's learning the system. I'm brand no. new here. <laughs> Give me a minute. <laughs> brand new. We're, <laughs> we, you know, there's no way to practice for a lot of days these days. These know? days are all different. You're right about the music being great. I actually went back to the original opening of the show because the other one is good and nice and everything, but I just feel like that the original opening really describes where we're at these days. You know, we're at this real critical moment between this battle against these tyrants, against, you know, ordinary people having to rise up and fight tyranny. And there's no better example of that than what happened today with that leak of the uh, Supreme Court opinion, just an opinion of uh, majority opinion, mind you, but still an opinion about abortion, which indicates to me at least that we are still very much in the middle of that fight between tyrants, kings and thieves, as I think I said in the open, and uh, ordinary people. And we have a lot of... Uh, a lot of fights still to go before we get out of it, because clearly this is not something that they just came up with today. This is something that has been a result of 50 years of work, and it certainly does not represent the opinions of the majority of the people of the United States. So it is an abhorrent and um, you know, a decision and, and an aberration at the same time. Um, I've got so much to talk about this tonight, and they're just ideas. I don't really have a script, or I don't have anything planned around it, but I did want to get your thoughts just to start us off here. Like, what, What's your sense as you're watching you know, people starting to gather outside the Supreme Court? There are protests in New York as well tonight. People are, are not taking this one lying down, even though it's not even a decision yet. So I have a number of takes on the role of Roe v. Wade and abortion policy. I think this is, this action is, this is a Hail Mary pass, as they would say in American football. This is a last minute move of desperation by certain political elements, because this is the threat that's supposed to hang over American politics, you know, is that, oh, you know, we made abortion, which is a necessary medical procedure in many cases. My favorite go-to is ectopic pregnancies. Like it, if you look at just that, it's like, how can you say there's no exception for this? This is something where a baby takes root in a fallopian tube. It will not live. The mother will not live. It's not up for debate. And yet you have people who've been trained into this political rhetoric of, no, there's no exceptions. And they become single issue voters and they see it only one way. And that's, you know, a large scale, long-term psychological operation to make them thus. Mm -hmm. And I don't think abortion is about abortion. I think abortion is about taxes. I think that this is all, there's eight dudes with all the money who want to overthrow democracy and don't want to pay taxes. And so they systematically want to erode you know, democratic norms. And uh, they want us to get used to this idea of, yeah, there's going to be, like you were saying, Zev, just numerically, this is well decided, you know, and if you looked at a lot of the polling data of the last 50 years, you know, nobody had birth control pills or uh, abortion as this important an issue or, you know, this was not a 50-50 thing in the country. This is a, this is a small subset of people who were instructed to feel this way about this one set of healthcare policy. I want to um, underline something you said there because this is a political move, firstly. This is a move designed to make June 
an impossible month. It's designed to make the month that we were going to have the Jan 6 hearings take place impossible for those hearings to actually take place because the noise that is going to emerge over the next you know six weeks until that hearing is going to make everything about Jan 6 disappear. It's going to suddenly just be overtaken by all the noise that we're going to have about the abortion and about Roe v. Wade. It is also a very deliberate move by a group of people who are very seriously dismantling America as we know it. They are not just a political party trying to throw some bad ideas at the wall. This is not just Marjorie Taylor Greene and her friends, you know, hey, let's be stupid and talk about Jewish lasers. No, this is about a group of people around the world who I've called the enemies of democracy who are deliberately trying to destroy Mm. the American state. And they're trying to destroy the system of democracy that rules that state. And they've been doing it very, very carefully for many, many years, longer than we've been aware of it. But we've certainly been aware of it for the last five or six years. And still, we are unable to stop it because clearly it is still going on. And clearly we are still seeing today the effect of an endless amount of, of effort and dollars being spent on destroying America. I mean, this is really what it comes down to. It's destroying America, even at its very face value. This is designed to create so much polarization and so much tension in this country that it will just blow up whatever um, civility we can have over the next few months heading into the elections. And that's the good side of it. If it's, But at its worst, it really is designed to destroy the entire country. It is designed to drag us into a, theo- a theocracy. It's designed to take away all our rights that have been given to people for the last 50 years. Um, all those incredible improvements that American democracy has given all of us in the world, but especially Americans, all those rights are going to be taken away systematically by this foreign overlords who apparently decided that they've had enough of America for whatever reason. And this is where we're at. This is the point in time. Tonight, we're going to prove some of that as we go through who's actually making this decision and who, how they got there. It's just you know clearly obvious once you go through that. Go ahead, Eric. Well, so we often make reference to my game theory thread of December the 11th, 2016, because that's when I started talking about Russian intelligence and working both sides of the spectrum. And it's the Russians that often end up as the stars in that piece of writing that I came out with. But I, what's rarely brought up is I started telling kind of a longer story arc that goes back, you know, four or five decades. And I really applies to Leonard Leo and the Federalist Society here. When I start talking about the right wing, I start talking about the network of think tanks and media outlets that started in the 70s and 80s. This is a long operation, and it is not entirely a Russian operation by any stretch of the imagination. Um, There's been a political movement from the right to reinvent itself post-Nixon, and that is they built on Nixon's Southern strategy of going into what was Dixiecrat territory of the older Democratic Party in the South, which you know had plenty of unsavory connection to the KKK, the Dixie Mafia, stuff like that, mm. um, as opposed to you know other sources of power. But in, in any event, the Republicans dipped down into that territory that they had not won in since the Civil War. And they started reviving, they started having connections to these like, you know, these reactionary evangelical pastors that they would have absolutely never dealt with before. And not only did they accept them back in and the money they'd bring, 
they started weaving some of their ideas into these networks of think tanks. And some of those think tanks have become deeply compromised and serious tools of foreign powers. But in any event, several of these think tank organizations have had for their ultimate end, the overthrow of the American government. And that's different than any left-wing organization that we've had. And and we've had straight up, you know, if you go back 50, 60 years mm. or 70 years or whatnot, and you look at Rosa Parks, for example, mm-hmm. great civil rights icon, if I'm not mistaken, member of the Communist Party of the United States, um, you know, a lot of the- really, I didn't know black- that. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, they're out of uh, the Communist Party in the United States based out of Alabama. Interesting, right? That the, you know, the Soviet aligned communists picked the South uh, to base themselves in. And there's connections to the Black Liberation Movement. And, you know, because it's a, you think about provocatia and uh, Russian uh, political destabilization and whatnot, it's something they'd want to have a hand on in mm-hmm. terms of a, a lever. So, uh, I'm from Vermont. You know, uh, our, our friend Bernie Sanders there, he did his uh, honeymoon in Russia. The mm-hmm. famous footage of him drinking vodka in his T-shirts with Peter Clavel and and his his bride. Peter Clavel ends up being the second mayor of Burlington after Bernie. I mean, there's so, so there's some, you know, affinity there. Mm-hmm. But it, there's a big difference between... Chris Hayes, we can't live in a country with the 3% over the 2%. Have the 1%. You know, <laughs> that's a great. I haven't seen you do the, the impersonation of Chris Hayes, but well done. That's good. No, that's you know, Bernie Sanders. Okay. Um, we can't live in a country where the banks own 50% of everything yeah. that yeah. is 2%. Okay. Um, he's not trying, but you know, Bernie and I've, he's not always been my favorite, but uh, you know, Bernie never wanted to replace the system of government. I never heard that. And he's a pretty radical dude. I think once upon a time, he wanted to take back some General Electric factory and make it the people's schools like in 1969 or whatnot. But he didn't, you know, you know, he didn't. Neither did Joe Biden. And look at that. That's what they say that he's trying to do as well. So, oh, I mean, yeah. yeah in that same difficult. time period, they made Joe Biden, uh, Delaware senior, you know, the, the senator of Delaware representing chemical companies and whatnot. So they're not very, I think, and actually that's a good point. You take those two guys who the folks on the political right in the United States would go, oh, they're both radicals. But if you looked at those two men in 1971, who were both politically active, you know, they had nothing to do with each other and mm. neither one of them wanted to overthrow the U.S. government. And so we get getting back to Leonard Leo and those mm. cats, you know, the Federalist Society and this network of think tanks and very sneaky ideas, you know, Grover Norquist, I want government so small that we can drown it in a bathtub, you know, which is this violent imagery. And then you take over the NRA you know, you take the NRA from a hunting and rifle sporting association because there is a certain lifestyle that goes along with um, hunting for your own food that probably shouldn't be lost to American frontiersmen. And then, you, but you turn that into, yeah, and everyone should have a submachine gun. And you're basically a subset of uh, the Sinaloa cartel uh, guns trafficking. <laughs> you know, that gets transformed. And then you start, the biggest thing I was pointing out in um, in my game theory thread was that you're creating an alternate universe. And it's not about having an alternative opinion. You have alternative facts. Mm. And then Kellyanne Conway stole that from me two weeks later. She took your line. 
She took my line. Then Randy Rainbow made a song out of it, which was way more awesome. Uh, so that made it all. But he did not no. make a song about athletic. Uh, yeah, he did. You're right. He did. He yeah, did. He absolutely. did. Oh, right. We're going to get him on the show. Actually, facts. They're not facts. They're not. We're going to get him on the show because he's going to sing it with him. It's a good idea. <laughs> he's he's got a book to push. Maybe he'll. Do I know. It that's, why, that's why I think he might come on. Hey, uh, I got to finish a commercial break. But what you're saying here is really important. You're talking about these very important fundamental movements to try and distort reality for Americans. And it's working. It's working. Half of America believes in things that the other half does not believe in. And it's just the truth. right? And now. it's not the half. That's the thing. It's not half. In some cases, it's 11%. Yeah. But it's allowed. And for 11%. the, I don't want to pay any taxes at all ever. You can pay all the taxes. That's like eight dudes. Well, it's more than eight dudes. I'm going to challenge you more than eight dudes because it's a much bigger network. And I think we have to start realizing this is not just eight dudes. There's a, there are nation states involved. There's a religious organizations involved. There are political parties involved. There are billions and billions of dollars involved. If it was just eight dudes, you, me, and, you know, six of your friends would be able to change the country around, but it's, it isn't. It's a large, huge undertaking. Uh, we'll get into all of that just on the other side of this. Hey, it's becoming more and more expensive to buy groceries. And if you, like me, are trying to get all the nutrients and vitamins you need while still balancing your budget, it's become nearly impossible to get all the nutrients you need from food alone, especially on a budget. That's why I did the 30-day Athletic Greens Challenge in April. The plan was simple. Take the AG1 supplement throughout April and track any increases in energy levels, overall well-being, and vitality. And if my immune system felt boosted... I did it throughout April, and I have to say, I feel terrific every day taking it. I still take it every day after the 30-day challenge was over. And the biggest fear that people have about green drinks is the taste. And I have to tell you that even taking a daily, drinking this drink every day, the drink tastes great every time. It's refreshing and tastes a little bit like a tropical drink. AG1 is engineered to provide all the right nutrients at just the right time. Whether you want increased energy or improved muscle recovery, they've got it covered. And because they care about your wallets too, AG1 will only cost you around three bucks a day. To make it easy for you, Athletic Greens is also going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash narrative. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash narrative. That's the way we spell narrative, N-A-R-A-T-I-V, to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And remember to go visit that site if you want all those free goodies attached to your order. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash narrative, N-A-R-A-T-I-V. All right, we're back live with Eric Garland and me, Zef Shalev. We're talking about the United States of Leonard Leo. I was, you know, sort of being a little coy in my poster tonight. But this guy, Leonard Leo, most people do not know who Leonard Leo is. He's a very powerful man who happens to be in charge of a lot of important judicial decisions in this country, specifically around the appointments of who is going to sit on the Supreme Court of the United States of America. He's a funny-looking dude. This is one you might appreciate. This is him. Do you, do you know much about Mr. Leo over here? I know we should get that suit let out a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, just a tailor or something. The blue is nice and shiny. Yeah, this guy. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, this guy. So, you know, you know, we have a very good Supreme Court, of, a very good history of having a very good balance to Supreme Court. Up until recently. Whoa, whoa. Oh, 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 hold on. I mean, you know, other yeah. than the Dred Scott decision, and um, I mean, it's been improved over time. Uh, <laughs> They've gotten better over time. And up until recently, they were doing quite well. I mean, 
This is the current makeup of the Supreme Court of the United States. It will change, of course, because we have a new justice who will be sworn in. But this is the current makeup. You can see quite readily here that there is a lot of Trump and a lot of Bush on the wall here. There's two Obamas and two Clintons. Uh, sorry, one Clinton. So, you know, this is why we have a skewed system is because a skewed judgment here, or at least a, a skewed opinion here is because under Trump, we had three justices and nominated and confirmed to the Supreme Court. And that is remarkable considering Donald Trump himself was not, in my opinion, the rightful winner of the 2016 elections. And in all likelihood, you know, she's never been able to give any of these opinions or any of these decisions because he was ultimately supported by an enemy state or an adversary in Russia. And I think it's been proven well beyond reasonable doubt that he had Russian supporters and he had Russian contacts. He himself was a Russian asset. I think that was all pretty much proven. So the idea that that person can be allowed to make these nominations and appointments to the Supreme Court, considering he has you know, basically acted as an agent for a foreign country during that period of time is striking beyond belief. That that last part, that's that's going to be a real point of discussion here. I mean, I think, you know, if given how much he was in the service of multiple hostile foreign mm-hmm. states, including right up to the end, although Russia does in fact, uh, featured largely, there was uh, an uh, Office of the Inspector General report today that confirmed what the whistleblower from the DHS intelligence agency told us in September 2020, which is that that one of his last acts, in case you had some questions about Trump and Russia, that they ordered the domestic, the only domestic intelligence product producing agency, DHS, is the only agency that can do and Intel products and give it to members of law enforcement and state governments and stuff like that. They said, do not mention Russia and do not mention the right wing paramilitaries because it makes Trump look bad. So they're part of the coup that mm. came out in an OIG report today about mm. Chad Wolf. It is one of the most nasty scandals in intelligence mm. and government history. And that was today. And it was all, and it was for Russia. So yeah, if, this was a bunch of people acting for China, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Arabia Israel, whoever, yeah. List goes Sinaloa, on. Cartel. Yeah. yeah. Then who are these three up in the back there? Um, Gorsuch there, 2017. It's ironic because that should have been Merrick Garland. Mm-hmm. The only reason it's not is because the Republicans got the party started early on discarding the Constitution whenever the goddamn hell they feel like they can yeah. or want to. And there was like, an illegal you know, move there, right there. And that was even before Donald Trump was in there. So, you know, it's the GOP for sure. And it's also Donald Trump and illegal presidency that landed up with an illegal attempted coup, I should remind everybody, which was designed to lead up to this same Supreme Court throwing out the election results because they had stacked the court with people that they knew were loyal to them. So you hang that on on Mitch McConnell. He never gets away from this. And he never mm-hmm. goes, well, I don't I, I, I but nope, that this is his coup d'etat as well. Yeah, for sure it is. So, you know, let's look at these three because they're three unique individuals. They each deserve their own moment in the, in the spotlight here. But I should mention that each of them, and the reason why Donald Trump was able to get away with appointing them to the court is because Leonard Leo and his Federalist Society had approved them. You know, that his whole yeah. thing was, I'm not even doing the Supreme Court picking. I'm just going to pick anyone the Federalist Society tells me to pick. 
because they're trustworthy, right? Everyone knows the Federalist Society. Well, you add the Federalist Society to an in the hands of the Russian, China, Saudi Arabia, and Israeli government uh, president, and who knows what decisions you get. In fact, you get these decisions. You get people like Kavanaugh, you get Gorsuch, and you get Amy Coney Barrett. And these are three people that are outside of the norm. I mean, Gorsuch maybe not, but I'll explain why I think he is. Outside of the norm of normal politics, of where mainstream politics is in America. I mean, surely, you know, Amy Coney Barrett is, you know, just her, her background is shouldn't be disqualifying, but it looks unusual, the fact that she has sort of this cult upbringing, um, that she, you know, that her her marriage is sort of governed under a different set of rules than the traditional rules of marriage in the world, that it's governed by uh, some sort of religious devotion to her to her husband, but that means that she has to follow everything he says. I mean, that's unusual for a Supreme Court justice, but let's say we don't have to look at those things, and there's other reasons maybe she shouldn't have been there. But Gorsuch and Kavanaugh are directly tied to the same group of people that gave us Donald Trump. And I think that's important. I mean, a lot of people don't realize this about Gorsuch, but his history, and particularly his mother's history at the EPA, is really fascinating. Are you aware very much about what uh, Gorsuch's mom was doing at the EPA? Um, I know. Because you, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, because we don't know. Um, well, good. We'll learn something. <laughs> um, so this is a recent uh, little bit of learning that I came across. She was... This is Anne M. Gorsuch, was an attorney, uh, an American attorney and politician between 1981 and 1983. So, so she served under President Ronald Reagan as the first female administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, which uh, sounds like a nice, noble thing to do. But like the Trump administration, mm-hmm. under Reagan, the EPA and under Gorsuch's command decided they wanted to destroy the EPA from within. Yeah. So she was one of those people who liked to gut the enforcement, who, who wanted to collapse all the regulations, who wanted to make it all just impossible for people to actually protect the environment. And one of her heads of the EPA, one of her deputies there at least, I think Rita Marie Lavelle, landed up becoming the figure that got accused for this, you know, was a scapegoat for this, and was ultimately faced criminal charges in, in that she was perjured herself in testimony. But it's interesting that Amongst the other things that they did was they raided the agency's super fund, which is a $1.6 billion fund designed to clean the air and to clean uh, hazardous waste material. They raided to enormous extent. They also, by the way, and this is very, very crucial. Do you know the Coors Company, the beer beer company that makes? Uh, Adolphus Coors, yeah. Yeah. He's part of that. uh, Go on. Yeah. So, you know, the Coors people were not always just beer people. They used to be mining people. And, you know, by everyone's account, I didn't know this until recently, we're also like part of that same sort of mining mafia that existed in the United States, along with the Koch family and other families like that. So they're not dissimilar from the Koch family. And when Gorsuch, you know, took over the agency, it became clear to some that she intended to turn typical agency regulations um, and make them really impossible to follow. In her tenure, she successfully reduced the number of cases filed against alleged polluters and approved the spraying of pesticides, which were of the very restricted use variety. She also cut the amount of employees in the agency and hired lobbyists to join the agency. 
Burford was cited for contempt of Congress and resigned following a scandal. It wasn't only her anti-regulation desires that caused a concern for the public and some legislators. It was her refusal to submit documents after public and congressional outcry. In 1982, Congress accused the EPA of mishandling a $1.6 billion toxic waste fund and demanded the proper records from her. Burford refused to release the documents to the body and in return was cited for being contempted. Eventually, the EPA turned over the documents after Reagan's White House dropped its claim that the information was unable to be subpoenaed because they were part of executive privilege. Once the White House quit pursuing the claim, Burford resigned from her role with the EPA. She said it was getting to the point where she couldn't do her job anymore. She added that she left the post because she believed that she had become the issue, saying that it's hard to lead a normal life when there are people camped in front of your yard. Now, you know, she's the mother. She, her son may not be the same person. Her son might be a, you know, very legitimate, clean person, but he's not. He's also comes from the same group of people. Like, you know, his support from Leonard Leo is the reason Gorsuch is on the Supreme Court. And Leonard Leo is tied to the Koch family very, very directly. He's also tied to the Federalist Society we mentioned before and also to the Council for National Policy, that extreme right-wing group that is trying to turn America into theocracy. So people are allowed to have political affiliations. Of course they are. But when you're looking at an intentional campaign to install Supreme Court justices that will go do the bidding of the mafia families, of the big mining families, of the big dons in, in America, now you're talking about corruption. Sure. I mean, look, the Koch brothers, you know, there comes from, among other activities, you know, building fossil fuel plants for Hitler and Stalin and their connections go, to Russia go back all the way. You know, they're foreign agents on U.S. soil that have U.S. passports. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, exactly. they, could, they could have changed that attitude at any time, but uh, clearly didn't. And Leonard Leo is their man. I mean, he there's there's one example I was able to find. It's a little hard to find how he's connected to them, but he is absolutely connected to them. And the best example is at George Mason University, where, you know, he is responsible for all the admissions to the law school over there. And Leo is, according to this article in Slate, is friends with David and Charles Koch, and they've both donated generously to the organization, his organization. But Leo coordinated the donation of $10 million from the Charles Koch and $20 million from an anonymous donor to rename the, the George Mason University Law School after uh, Justice Scalia. Uh, Antonin Scalia, yeah. yeah. That anonymous donor was later revealed to be the BH Fund, a tax-exempt group of which Leo is president. So he's basically, you know, he's just basically the front man for them in a lot of ways. And he's, you know. He's, a, he, he's an honorary Koch brother. Yeah. Sort of like the Bee Gees um, or something. He, or or the Koch brother that really needs to have that suit let out. I mean, that He is, really does. That suit's not good for him. Good. I mean, this you is, can do a lot with, yeah. I mean, we're big guys. Um, this is just, this is not my, although my mind maps, maps do look a little like this. This is um, someone online that posted all these connections that he has. You know, Leonard Leo is not just Leonard Leo. Leonard Leo is all these other people, all these other organizations, the Federal Society, um, the Council for National uh, Policy we mentioned before, the all these other organizations that are tax-exempt organizations that promote different justices. It's a large-scale movement. And since the 1970s, they have been building up an attempt to take over the Supreme Court. And now here they are. They've taken over the Supreme Court. They have 
five justices that are leaning right or very, very right. And they can do things that they've always wanted to do, like get rid of abortion. It has been Leonard Leo's number one aim in life for the last 40 years, I think, to get rid of abortion, uh, to get rid of Roe versus Wade in America. And now he's been able to do that. It appears that he's been able to do that. Except there's a big question mark around why the leak, who the leak, you know, everyone's talking about, should we talk about the opinion itself or should we talk about the leak itself? Both are very important. And you know, what do you think? Do you have any ideas on how the leak happened on this opinion? Yeah, I think they were about to have to discuss the fact that Bibi Netanyahu has been discovered to be running uh, cover for the Sinaloa cartel uh, doing uh, cocaine and uh, human trafficking. That sort of came out this weekend. You know, the wheels are coming off the fun bus for these guys. And this is something that everyone's going to talk about because you're talking about weaponization of women's health care is going to disturb every woman, much like in Kavanaugh's confirmation hearing. It's like it was flagrantly traumatizing mm. to like every woman is like every woman who's ever been to a party and been aggressed much like, you know, it's like Trump is like everybody's touchy uncle or gross, you know, authority figure that abused a woman for the most part. This is every abuser at a party, or that's how the spectacle was made. And then the greatest nightmare is these guys are going to pass, you know, hideous healthcare policies and go even crazier about uh, what they expect women are allowed to do with their bodies. I mean, so all this is, by the way, and you paralyze half the electorate. Mm -hmm. Like almost every woman I talked to today is pretty miserable about this. And it's hard to keep, you know, your mind on anything else. Uh, so I think it's a large psychological terrorism operation. Agree. It's not only paralyzing, it's also weaponizing the rest. I mean, so now they're going to have all these protests. We're going to have these huge protests that are just going to, you know, they'll take over the narrative of everything for the next few weeks. And, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll stay peaceful and hopefully things will be okay. But, you know, you can just see how here we are yet again in the summer of what was it, 2020, when it was all Black Lives Matter. and now it's going to be abortion. What? Yes. And it's going to yes. be the same. Let's build up so much hysteria and craziness. So, you know, we just can't function as a society. And then maybe, you know, the good Republicans will restore order and law and order in our society, um, you know, come November in the elections. It's an election ploy amongst many other things. I also think it was not going to get through. I think this uh, decision sorry, this opinion, declaring that five of them had signed on to this opinion is not the reality of what was going on. To me, it seems like yeah. Justice Roberts had found a voice amongst those five that was going to work on a different opinion and that they were going to be able to at least come up with some sort of median path. That voice may have been this man you see on our screen here, Mr. Kavanaugh, and maybe his decision to remove himself from that original pack of five is the reason we might have seen that opinion released. That's one scenario that I think is worth pointing out because I think it is, has some sort of legitimacy around it. I've not confirmed it 100%, but it sure sounds like a good theory. The other theory is that, you know, BuzzFeed is not... Do you remember when BuzzFeed was used as a vehicle for releasing Wait, a document that might disrupt any elections because I can't think of any. Hold on, did BuzzFeed release this? Yeah, Buzz. Oh no, sorry, it's Politico. It's Politico. Sorry, it's Politico. It's Politico. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but it's, it reminds me a lot of it being like BuzzFeed. Sorry, I should. Have, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. The two of them sort of <laughs> merge in my in my political landscape a little bit. But 
you know, it reminds me of that whole scenario of of the steel dossier being released in 2016 to yeah. disrupt the elections. This has the same feel to me that we've got mm-hmm. Politico, you know, coming out with a shocking, like absolutely out of left field. Where did this come from? No one's ever done this in the history of all of the Supreme uh-huh. Court before. Uh-huh. Here's this leaked. Let's so like steel dossier was like that. It was like. You know, where did this leak come from? It was bizarre. You'd never seen anything like it. This is the same kind of leak. Now, this is, it's different than the Steele dossier in that this is not like three guys, uh, you know, in Cleveland who've come up with, they're going to make something that looks sort of like yeah. a Supreme Court decision. You know, this looks like a draft. They're like, nope, that's authentic. So that makes it different than the Steele dossier. Yeah. But yeah, the whole, it's like, wait a minute, you guys weren't done with this thing yet? You know, who made the decision to release that because it's not finished what purpose is that other than to drive the narrative away from the fact that if we were going to say the words supreme court this week it should have been god do you think uh clarence thomas's offices is going to be raided by the fbi or his house has been raided by the fbi be as the uh january 6th doj investigations go on you know are the, are the marshals you know flipping over their breakfast cereal looking for stuff that's what we would have been talking about 100 percent. you know and the last week, you know, Jamie Raskin is uh, completely clear in his verbiage. He's like, this is the worst thing ever. Everything's going to blow up. Strap in. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> traitors are going down. And last week we had the first. Now we have the second guilty plea to the major obstruction of a government process. I think it's 18 U.S. Code 1512. Ah, That's yeah. like a, another bad one. It's like a 20-year charge from the Jan 6 people. And they're not even the major... Yeah. conspirators this is like a guy throwing a sign or a spear i'm forgetting the, all the details but he pleaded out to a nasty charge another judge said you know what i may have been too lenient in my sentencing i'm going to reconsider that of these people earlier on he was saying wow the more i learned from these other cases about what they were up to because you know courts ideally have to function on facts and not feelings right the facts and the law and then you apply and uh, this is why you have this, something enormous like this. As a court, you can only go so far with the facts you have. But since all these people work together, now that the facts are coming out about just what was involved, things like, you know, that may have been coordination from the White House. There may have been coordination like to Ginny Thomas's best friend and whatnot. Now you have the judges going, hey, you know what? I'm going to start handing out a bunch more 20 to 40 year prison sentences. Mm. That was where we were like on Friday. Mm. It's Tuesday. You know, like you wake up Tuesday morning and like, okay, you know, what's going to happen here? And then boom, you know, they pull the final ripcord on this one is like go get the roe v wade draft thingy and fling it out especially if it was it was going to be useless to them if they knew already that in june the decision was not going to be the same as this opinion because kavanaugh had already shifted or one of the others had already shifted into a robert's sort of middle ground then this decision uh, this opinion becomes kind of moot and so why not use it in this particular space in this particular time to disrupt two months of political conversation around january the 6th and turn it into conversation about abortion. Zev, I have a, I'm, I am not a journalist. Yeah. I'm an intel analyst. There are different professions. You're a journalist. Ways. Yeah. In some ways, this is where they really depart about when you're going to take a responsibility to the public. And we may be, uh, you know, I got plenty of opinions about BuzzFeed for what they did. So is what Politico did here today running this before it was authenticated by the court itself? 
Is that normal journalism? They, they said they had authenticated it, and we sort of all took their word for it over the last 24 hours. I have real questions about why they chose to run it. I don't think it's, it's a complete story. I think what we're seeing is an accurate document, a document that comes out of the Supreme Court, no doubt. But is it a complete telling of what's going on? Not at all. It's the kind of thing that should spark an investigation, not the kind of thing that should result in the publication of something. And, you know, you get thrown things all the time that are look legit and might be legit and all these other things. Yes, but it doesn't mean that you should be utilized as a vehicle for political action, which is what I think political was used here for. Whichever side decided to deploy this or whoever decided to deploy this into the public space, political was being used by them and they did not apply the normal, I think, sort of journalistic caution around things that you want to apply to these things to say, hey, you know, are we just being used? And it doesn't help that Politico was just recently bought by, I think, a German company. Um, Axel Springer. Yeah, yep. Axel Springer. So that certainly doesn't help the look of this whole thing because, you know, BuzzFeed and Politico together because I question their political existence. You know, I question why they exist journalistically because it just seemed to be as a political arm of some other state or organization or something that we can't see or, or identify. And that to me is what this was. It was a political act and Politico let itself be used. And all these congratulations going around for this guy's big scoop. It was not really, a, you know, he didn't do that very much. Something probably landed on his lap. And in fact, what he was happened was Politico was being used by the people who put this out today. It's not that the opinion isn't what it says it is it's in that opinion. It absolutely is what it is. But I, you know, they're not telling the full context of that story and not explaining the full events as far as I can see. Then, then that's more media failure here because really you guys can all go to hell with your scoops. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not a, like I've done my job, you know, 48% of the way and I'm going to fling this out and have a horrible effect on, you know, the democratic discussion. Guess what? That's not a scoop. That's a failure. Congratulations. I, mean, I think you need to failure. be able to explain it. This is the kind of story you just don't put out there without saying, hey, we did some investigating and this is what was going on. You know, Roberts was doing this and maybe Kavanaugh was going to flip. And, you know, yeah, you need to explain all that stuff. Then you can put it out. But yeah, you just but, put it out there as, hey, this is it. going to be the decision in June. When I think clearly the subtext is that this is not going to be the decision in June. This is going to be the decision up until June. And we'll see what happens. So, Oh, look, was the investigation of foreign powers completely crazy by the FBI? Here's something that is not one of their products. Yes. So the Steele dossier. Yes, exactly. Has the entire intelligence community failed? Like, what? Yeah. Who's driving this? And it turns out there's a bunch of foreign uh, hands in there. Interesting. Well, that's the thing that you keep coming back to with all of these things. And, you know, it's not just domestic politicians that are messing around with things. It's actually big time organizations. I mean, I don't know very much about the Knights of Malta. Do you know very much about the Knights of Malta? Oh, yeah, but sure. I don't know. I mean, if you look them up, they sound like a crazy thing. I mean, this is from the Daily Beast, which said... I've, I know that the Knights of Malta keep coming up in conversations around what's going on in the United States. Leo is a member of the secretive, extremely conservative Knights of Malta, a Catholic order founded in the 12th century that functions as a quasi-independent sovereign nation. You know that? I don't know. With its own diplomatic corps, separate from the Vatican, United Nations status, and a tremendous amount of money and land. 
The Knights, which recently have tussled with Pope Francis and resisted his calls for reform, take their own set of vows, as monks do. On the surface, the primary work of the order is humanitarian work around the globe, but it is also home to the noted Catholic conservatives, including Cardinal Raymond Leo Burke, a frequent foe of the reformist Pope. Leonard's faith is a paramount to him. When he traveled, staff members had to find him a church near where he was staying so he could uh, say and mass every day and attend mass every day. To be sure, none of this is to repeat the odious claim of anti-Catholicism, of papist conspiracies and dual loyalty, but Leo has spent a career shaping the federal judiciary to reflect rigid conservative religious dogmas. Those include the notions that human life begins at conception and that homosexuality is immoral. The reason is that the moral natural law is a part of the fabric of the universe of laws of nature, and it trumps any secular law that humans or legislatures might dream up, as developed by St. Thomas Aquinas and a millennium of subsequent philosophers. Everything has a natural function and its natural misuse and its unnatural misuse. Food is for nourishment, not gastatory, delight, and sex is for procreation, not pleasure, essential enjoyment, it's luxury, you know, you get the idea. Simple diversion is not what it's all about. It's all about procreation, reproduction, natural law, natural things. Yeah, unless it's between a priest and an eleven-year-old boy. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You know, you you make it very. But this Knights of Malta, they show up again and again. Or as we've been investigating all of Trump Russia and everything that landed up being Trump Russia, you know, people like Eric Prince is a Knight of Malta, for example. And so you start finding a lot of people in the firmament of the Trump mafia universe that seem to be belong to the Knights of Malta. And that's troubling that there is these deeply powerful old religious organizations that might be at the root of a lot of the change that has been going on in America and maybe have the long vision and the, you know, the resources to do something like what they've done to SCOTUS over 50 years by installing a bunch of extremist justices in, a, in an American Supreme Court. There's a local member of uh, the Knights of Malta here. Well, she's she's passed on, but Phyllis Schlafly, the mm-hmm. Reagan-era anti-feminist, you know, really she's from a very wealthy St. Louis family. And when she died, uh, it's funny. I love the local media here that, like, something huge will walk by. They'll pay absolutely no mind to it. The Knights of Malta eulogized, eulogized her. And I so I remember actually there was a photo of pallbearers from the Knights of Malta that were that laid her mm-hmm. to, to rest. So. Yeah. That's right. And so you've got the Schlafly Eagle Forum. The guy who runs that, Ed Martin, was part of the Jan 6th, mm-hmm. organizing the January 6th coup d'etat. Yeah. He was, used to be the head of the GOP here in Missouri. And that's where guys like Mike Flynn would come, and I believe Steve Bannon as well would come here to the Schlafly's Eagle Forum. And that's the Knights of Malta. And spare me your Dan Brown cosplay you know, the Da Vinci Code cosplay here of, you know, this is a religious thing. This is not about faith. This is about power. This is about covert money and covert intelligence. This is an organization of foreign yeah. <laughs> foreign influence. Yeah. So. Schlafly was, was the one who, you know, gave Lynn that award to, I, it was 2019, maybe. I don't know, maybe it was 2020. Yeah. But that giant award, and that's where we saw that dinner with him and all these QAnon uh, you know, mm-hmm. God, I don't know what you call them, collaborators, you know, traders. Uh, yeah, you could call them that too. She's honored this guy. And again, the Knights of Malta are a thread throughout his history too. And it's, it's not a coincidence. You know, I think we gotta, you gotta assume 
that these very moneyed, wealthy people are doing something that they uh, maybe feel entitled to do, but that they're doing something very aggressive and deliberately to disrupt America. This is not sure. America at its norm. We're not experiencing America at its norm. We're experiencing America heavily attacked on all sides for many, many years by different countries and organizations, which I've always lumped into this notion of the enemies, enemies of democracy. So in my, the Garland family got here pre-Pilgrim. My ancestor, Peter the Mariner Garland, helped chart the seas around uh, New Hampshire and Maine and Massachusetts, which, you know, then my people land and whatnot. Anyhow, I got the pay stubs of my grandfathers who fought in the Revolutionary War and the Civil War. And look, it, the, you know, it's not to say they were great folks necessarily or that this country was where it needed to be or had all the values that we had dreamed up for it when the, the full nation kicked on in the late 1700s. But the notion of, uh, you know, even if it was just for a few land-owning uh, white dudes, the notion of being free of these imperial mystical organizations that was paramount. I mm. mean, even if they themselves, you know, may have owned slaves or they themselves were elitist in other ways, they were like, okay, you know, maybe that's us and, you know, we'd like the nation to get better. But they definitely wanted to cast off the Catholic Church. They wanted to cast off the notion of primogeniture and, you know, divine right of kings. The founding fathers, you know, had a really sketchy moral uh, history, all of them. But the one thing that they were really, really big on was spare us your sky friend bullshit and get to work. Mm. That this is a secular nation that is a nation of laws, not men. And all this bullshit with titles and secret. I mean, they, they had the Masons, the, but the Masons is like a, of course, a labor union. Uh, they were the ones building the cathedrals back in the day. And so they had their systems of hand signals and whatnot was because they, they were like the inventors of uh, the retirement system and insurance, like basically health insurance, that if you were a Mason, you could get health care and you could stay at their series of inns. Anyhow, so they sometimes pin that on George Washington. Oh, like, oh, they had their their secret societies too, but it was different, you know, and it may have been flipped and subverted since then, but it's not the same thing. If you read their writing from the time that this country was founded, they hated the febrile religiosity of the old world there. I mean, remember they were only a hundred so years of everybody murdering each other in the street over the schism in the Christian church, mm. which burning was not that far off. We dabbled with it a little bit in Massachusetts. <laughs> you know, there is, <laughs> you know, the founding fathers when they're like, all right, let's do this and let's write the documents that we are still basing this country on that are still that this Supreme court takeover that's what this is. This is dragging this shit back before 1776. Right. It's not it is. normal. It's not natural. Talk about natural law. America has progressed so much since that time. People's rights have progressed so much. Our privacy rights have progressed so much. And they are dragging us back to a religious uh, colonial era uh, which is not normal. I mean, it's not where we are. America is not it's where medieval. We, it's, it's not even colonial. Yeah. It's medieval. Yeah. This is like, they. I mean, some of the shit in St. Louis here where we're going to, you know, uh, we don't need a warrant to search your house or mm. we'll throw you in jail and you'll die and you can't sue us. That's pre Magna Carta. So mm. we're talking about dragging this place back 900 years pre Magna Carta, pre habeas corpus. Yeah. You're talking about things and like that, abortion and gay rights. You're talking about the state interfering in, your personal private life, 
your personal private decisions about how you want to spend your life, how you want to govern your own body, how you want to do your own things, which is quintessentially American. And now this Republican Party, which supposedly is, is libertarian, I mean, give me a break. These guys are in favor of the Supreme Court interfering in a woman's right to choose what to do with her body. I mean, it's the most anti-libertarian thing you've ever heard of. It's absolutely uh, nonsense. You know, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. And it's just it's another also, piece of evidence that you've got there that the GOP, it's not, not, maybe it's not itself, or it's become something that's just antithesis or antithetical to democracy. It just doesn't belong in democracy. So, you know, it's also anti-fact, anti-science, anti-reason. And yeah. that's why I dragged this back 800 years. Like, do you know how old the grand jury system is? No, how old is the grand jury it's system? A, it's about 800 years old. Well, the, the notion that, you know, that you could be accused of a crime mm -hmm. of some sort. Like if it was a major and heinous crime, uh, they were trying to, several hundred years old where there needed to be courts aside from the ecclesiastical, just some religious figure saying, he's committed a heresy. They're like, no, 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 we need a group of people from the community to sit in and hear about the charges before we we lay those sense out. to me. Right? Sense because to me. otherwise you have a small group of people with their extreme religious beliefs coming up with some bullshit and then changing your life or, you know, laying hands on your body or killing you or something mm -hmm. like that. Boy, that'd be terrible. We're talking about over 500 years of legal history there. Mm -hmm. And this group of miscreants wants us back to the dark ages. Yep. And why they want it because they want to destroy America. America is a great example of what democracy can deliver. It's a great example of how you can take people from different parts of the world and they will work together based on the fact that they can all ascribe to a single idea, to a single notion. And it's worked. It's worked so well that America's landed up leading the world for, you know, well over a century, but longer than that, of course. And it's certainly in the last century that it's become, there was the American century, that towards the end of it, people started saying this is the end of the American century and started writing off America and I don't think this is the end of America, and no one should allow these foreign invaders say that it is the end of America, because in fact, America is the system that has led the world in the last 100 years, and there is no better system out there that we've seen, and it continues to be a shining light for everybody else in the world, and we continue to be, even through these enormous difficulties, a place that can handle change, can handle all the commotion we've had in our society, and still hold on to rule of law. It is remarkable that all of that has happened in the last five years, considering what we've been through. And this should not be a reason, today's opinion, just an opinion, should not be a reason that we derail where we were going. I, you know, As far as I'm concerned, January the 6th remains key in understanding what's going on. And this opinion should not derail anyone's attention in terms of understanding what happened on that day? We need to know what happened on that day. And those people need to go to jail if they committed crimes that are against the constitution of this country. That's the rule of law. That is how we've been around all our lives. And that is what needs to continue. So don't stop paying attention to January the 6th. Don't let these guys swamp our world with abortion talk for the next six weeks when it's not, in fact, what's going to be the case. And in fact, I would argue the Supreme Court should actually delay the whole abortion decision until after the elections anyhow, so that people can speak and decide who they want, whether they want abortion to be uh, part of the legislative
process next season. You know, it's up to the people if they want abortion or not. They can vote in the election. They can decide which party they want to vote for. Do they want to vote for the anti-abortion party or do they want to vote for the pro-abortion party? It's easy. They let them decide. Then the justices can opine on what happened. But right now, there's too much around this whole decision that makes it impossible for anyone to think that it's going to be clean or valid or anything. So, you know, let's hold off until after the elections. Yes, and it's instant. As I hope John Roberts hears this, you know, sir, your institution here has just interfered with the other two branches of American government mm-hmm. here. That was something. I'm sorry, your operational security isn't very good, but somebody gave this German-owned media outlet some draft here. So you know, it's going to be febrile because it's such a the. the most uh, important topic that that court's been considering given all these horrible things that these people want to do with it. So clearly, while we're at this very sensitive juncture, you guys can't make that decision. So just push that off. And Justice Roberts, please announce that you're not going to be making that decision because we have a lot of things to get through, such as the January 6 hearings. And I mean, he's, and he's just launched an investigation. He just today launched an investigation into this. Surely we're not going to know the results of that investigation by June, knowing the way things work in the Supreme Court. It's going to take a little time for them to figure out who's exactly responsible for this leak. So June seems to be a non-starter anyhow. It's a non-starter. So push it back till November or December or whenever it is you want to do it, but it should not happen before the people have a chance to speak about whether they want abortion or not. I mean, that really is... Or before we know whether Clarence Thomas was actually in the Presidential Emergency Operations Center on January 6th. Right. Or whether Jenny Thomas, his wife, was in the Operations Center that day. Or, for example. For example, all those kinds of things. You want to know. We need to know. And frankly, until then, the Supreme Court just has gotten very little teeth. They sort of have lost credibility in a lot of it, I think, throughout all of this. Um, It would be a shame if they kept up with this. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I'll see what happens. Well, that was a good show. Thank you, Eric. All made up on the fly a little bit here, but uh, it was good to hang out with you and good to see you again. And always your opinions are brilliant and interesting. Everyone should actually check out your game theory thread. Will you repost it? Will you re- I will. I will. I think it's held up pretty well. And the stuff with, you know, the the network of alternative facts, I you know, uh, that's where this is going. Yeah. That's where these guys have been driving it. And also, since you've brought this up, you keep talking about America being the system. The th- what I wrapped that thread up in was America is no longer a place. It's an idea. And I was scared that afternoon that we were going to lose it. Mm. And that if we did, that the idea wouldn't die. Because, you know, we can take steps back and they can take steps forward in Europe. I mean, you know, Europe went so far in, in the Enlightenment and then... You know, even this slave-owning country over here picked up those ideas from John Locke and Voltaire and whatnot and added it to the mix around here. And then we overthrew the British Empire and we started our own flawed country and advanced. And then the French got inspired by that. And they're like, wait a minute, you don't have to put up with abusive totalitarianism. I think I'll tear the heads off these gendarmes at the Bastille. And then... They go through their things. And, you know, we're all in this together. And this is light versus dark. This is reason versus superstition. And we're all in this together. So, uh, yeah, we really are. I mean, look what's going on in Ukraine. Look what they have to do to fight for their democracy. Look what they've gone to. And we're so far not there, but we can't afford to, to even consider going there. And we need to keep up the fight. Well said, sir. America is an idea. I love that uh, promo I did of that same theme in the next show. Um, folks, if you want to support narrative, please do so. We really rely on everything uh, on you for everything. 
really literally everything. So please join us at patreon.com forward slash narrative. It's about like two bucks 50 a show. It's like nothing. If you support us for $10 a month and it's worth it, you get a lot of free independent research that really helps you understand uh, what's going on in the world and maybe helps you analyze how things are developing in a more clear and cogent way than you would see on the mainstream media. So that's patreon.com forward slash narrative. Thank you for all of you to being here tonight. Have a good night, Eric. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.